KG, and this is not safe for networks. Hey, Biggs here. As you can hear, my voice is pretty thrashed, so we're not doing the normal podcast this week. I didn't want to give anything to Brandon and make this a global phenomenon a la Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. So I am just going to put up a little short episode that I did with Aaron Donaldson. This was actually recorded back in May of last year. So we talk about some key differences between Star Wars and Star Trek. So keep in mind that when we don't talk about The Last Jedi and uh, what little we talk about with Star Trek Discovery, like we have no idea what's going to happen with these. So yeah, just keep that in mind and try and enjoy it. And we will be back to normal show next week where we will definitely talk about Black Panther. Spoiler alert, I fucking love it. How you doing, Aaron? Hey, how's it going? Here I am. Woohoo. Just like that. Poof. Uh, so we just did an alien movie project for Star Trek II Rathacon. Uh-huh. And uh, I wanted to talk to you about a couple of things because I just like, I love this movie. Uh-huh. And uh, I just, I wanted to explore it a little bit deeper and call you out on a few things too. <laughs> I gave it a hard meh. That's <laughs> yeah, what I, said. I know you did. And I... <laughs> And I even said, like, Big said this was one of the best ones. And uh, meh. That's it. So, yeah, fair point. Let's do it. I'm excited. Okay. <laughs> so the first thing, and I just want to make a statement before I get into this, but I didn't realize how big of a Star Trek nerd I was until I heard you talking about it. Because there's <laughs> like this thing when somebody, like, messes up something, it just gets your dander up. And then I'm like... It just makes you really <laughs> mad. <laughs> and it, it reminds me of when I get Harry Potter people really upset about stuff. Yes. Because I, yes. I've, like, sort of seen some of them, so I don't know what I'm talking about. And so I can just... It's fun to do on purpose. I will often do it on purpose. I like to do this with baseball fans where I'll talk about like old baseball stuff that's just not real. And then they'll get really mad and I'll be like, well, you clearly don't know what you're talking about. And it just really pisses them off because baseball people have to be right about like history and yeah. stuff. And so if you want to it, – it's kind of like you know using Star Wars references with Star Trek people – uh, I get it. That's not what's happening here, I don't think. I don't think we've got anything <laughs> wrong on purpose. What did I do? Uh, well, there's a couple of things, but the one thing I just I'm wanted sure to point out is. really fast was like, here's the you list. were talking Shoot. about uh, <laughs> about Bones, basically. Uh, McCoy. Yes. Like getting yeah. the earworm and like captaining that, that little yes. shit. That was Chekhov, dude. The Russian guy. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. And I wouldn't have well, said anything except for you mentioned it like three times in the episode. I did. I did. I really said it like at least three times. Yeah. Okay. I think I might have read the IMDb synopsis and just like launched off of my vague recollection of that. I don't really know any of the people. Yeah. I know Kirk and Spock. Yeah. Yeah. No, fair enough. That's what most people know. Too. And Sulu. Everybody knows Sulu because George Takei is awesome. Yeah. But, um, 
that's it. Okay, so the other thing I was going to say, and I, we talked a, a little bit via text message, but you were talking about some of the, the emotional side of, of Star Trek, talking about mm. Vulcans and mm-hmm. such. And uh, so the interesting thing about these movies is Spock actually, because you talked about how it's like a, a negative thing towards women. But what I think is kind of interesting, if if you pay attention to the movies mm-hmm. and at least like watch them as a whole rather than maybe just one of the parts, but Spock is actually opening up emotionally. Um, mm-hmm. So in the show, he's always talking about this isn't logical, that isn't logical. Like nobody trusts him on the ship. Right. Nobody really likes Spock. Like because of the movies, people remember it wrong and they always think like Kirk right. and Bones and Spock are like friends, but they're not. Nobody trusts Spock. Nobody trusts Spock even mm-hmm. a little. Like it's very much he is the other on the ship. Not even Kirk. Not even Kirk. Kirk. No, like, definitely not Kirk. Like Spock has See, I don't even know. What Spock has like taken command from Kirk so many times in the show. Uh, like the crew is turned against Spock so many times uh, that the doctor is throwing out like all sorts of like, like basically he's like being racist to Spock all the time. Uh, right. Like, but literally race, right? <laughs> like literally an alien right. race. Right. Um, but in the right. movies, they're friends because they have this long relationship and not only are they friends, but like Spock starts to lie. That's like a big thing for him is like, and they're, they really start to explore that a little bit in part two when he's having that small little exchange with Sarek, uh-huh. but he's like starting to lie. And then in part three, like, okay. So the biggest theme I think in part two is that, um, it's basically the needs of the of the uh, many outweigh the needs of the one, right? Right. Yeah, a bunch of uh, utilitarianism there. And yep. you see that on both sides in a way. Like, you see that in the Enterprise side and how Spock sacrifices himself, like the good alien, like you said, right? But then Khan uh-huh. does not follow that. Like his needs for revenge, he, he puts his in, in front of his entire crew and gets his entire crew killed from it, right? So right. you see both sides of that theme play out. But in part uh-huh. three, the theme is the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. Huh. Like they steal a ship. And, and the reason I mention this is because two and three were written like – they knew what they were doing for three when they started filming mm-hmm. two. It's one of the earliest examples okay. of this where like they literally knew what they were going to do in the next movie because the first one uh-huh. wasn't very good, but it was so successful uh-huh. that they knew we're going to be able to rip off a bunch of these. And right. so that's right. When franchises were kind of taken off, I remember like the eighties was when movies would end with to be continued question mark and everyone would be like, Oh, they're going to do this thing called a sequel. Well, they, Make the same movie, but a little bit later on. Yeah, yeah. It was a real big deal, it seemed like. Yeah, and so the the third one, like, it kind of explores that, no, I mean, you had this theory, Spock, but you're wrong. Like, it's it's actually Mm. sometimes the individual, it's all up to us to help out the individual. And so then when we catch to the fourth one, because really two, three, and four are like – there you can't separate them they they tell this very continuous story and so when mm-hmm. you get to part 4 essentially like spock he gets his mind reunited cuz he he puts it into mccoy when he tells him remember in part 2 
Mm-hmm. Like that was intent. Like they knew what they were doing there, right? Like he's he's implanting his mind into McCoy, and then his body goes into Genesis. It regenerates, grows old. <laughs> it's because you know no CGI, right? But uh, so then he's talking to his mother, who's human, because Spock is half human, and she's trying to get him in touch with his emotional side because she's like, "You've made so many." Yeah so many so much progress it would be his mother wouldn't it like his mother would be the one that would be getting him in touch with his emotional side yeah yeah um, definitely can i jump in here for just a second or do you have do you have more you want to say about this because i kind of want to bring it back to what i was no 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 i i just got the point i just wanted to sort of get because you had one part of the wheel yeah i have a lot i want to say about it it's an interesting concept because it was one that we didn't talk about um we had already done Star Trek First Contact. Um, that was the first season at some point. I can't remember. It was like episode – it was. It was episode 49 that we did Star Trek First Contact. And in that episode, we talked about Data as kind of being the in-between space between cyborg and human. Yeah. And, um, you know, the people who – there's a whole bunch of literature that talks about the folks who straddle borders between – human and alien or human and robot or us and them other not other right like and so what you're pointing me to is this conversation again which is where spock kind of plays both sides of this and what's what i was touching on in the episode about wrath of khan was some um literature that i found in um a book by a guy named Robert Burton, and I first found it on the Brain Science Podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts ever. Um, episode 41 and 42, I think she does charge some, uh, like, 99 cents for an episode now or something, but it's totally worth it because you get, like, legitimate brain scientists talking about their books in really conversational ways. And in that, they were talking about how there's this old kind of echo of enlightenment thinking, which is that we have to separate the body and emotion from reasoning. And the example that people use a lot is the Vulcan story, which is that they try to be, I guess, and I don't know, I'm way out of my depths here. I'm just reporting what I've read from these people kind of summarizing. So maybe it is kind of a crass overgeneralization. But the, the, the gist of it, as I understand it, is that this Vulcan race has a kind of commitment to an emotionless way of being where we're going to try to get rid of our emotions and we're going to use pure reason. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's that's fair to say. I, I, and I think I was telling you a little bit about this, but essentially okay. the story that they use is that they were so angry and wrathful right. that they like had to find a way to control their emotions. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so we could go on and on. And, and we did. We said you could have like a whole conversation about the political economy of what it means to be a Vulcan in Star Trek. Um and and it is it's it's kind of it at least echoes legacies of misogyny like that kind of commitment right there and this idea that it would be mom that would bring us back to our emotional center and that he can be valuable for being emotional but that that pivots him and positions him as an outsider to his people who are not emotional kind of harkens back to this very fundamental question which is the one that Burton and more famously a guy named Antonio Damasio in a book called Descartes' Error really unsettles, which is this idea that we could even possibly reason without emotion. You cannot reason without emotion. Um, The example that he gives, I think, in the podcast 
is like when you're at a grocery store and you're trying to decide, you know, in my mind is like what kind of cereal you're going to get. There's no right answer here, right? There is no empirical like logic will deduce that like, no, that all of the cereal is the same and advertising people have decided to sell you different versions of cereal. And at some point you're going to be like, oh, I'll do this. Or it's like, what do you want for lunch today? You know, like uh, this. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. And you get a uh-huh, you get a yes moment, a feeling. Burton calls it a feeling of knowing. And it is an emotion. It's a feeling of conviction. It's a feeling of certainty. It's a feeling of familiarity, of um, kind of cognizant. We feel like we've made a choice. The feeling that you've made a choice is a feeling. This is really disturbing because it really begs questions of free choice itself. If we can really make choices when we don't even know if we're the ones making the choice. And so it's just kind of pushing back on... It wasn't so much saying that that Spock is indicative of it as it was saying the kind of Vulcan myth that you could reason without emotion is itself inherently deeply flawed. Yeah. And it's flawed from a perspective that tends to position an excess of emotion. And in this instance, I said it's interesting because it's wrath. Yeah. Right? It's like we're not going to be misogynistic and say it's like too much of the emotions that we frequently ascribe to femininity and culture. Like you're too you, – you cry too much or you care too much or whatever. It's going to be we're too afraid of our own, you know, masculine overtones of violence or something like that. And that's why we run away from it, right? But it's the same economy. It's the same kind of – it's the same um, value set when it comes to emotion. And in the scene in particular, it was like they were banishing humor and I just remember saying something like, you know, humor and logic, it's, you know, humor is deeply logical and logic is deeply emotional. And you can't do either without your ability to have feelings. Yeah. So that's kind of my defense for what oh, I no, said no, about no. I wasn't I wasn't attacking you. I just wanted to explore no. it a little bit further. Uh, something yeah. else that's interesting that that I would kind of posit too is so Star Trek changes over time. Uh-huh. You know, like what what passed in the '60s didn't later pass in the '80s, and then certainly didn't pass right. in the '90s or or not now. Right. Uh, right. Basically, I have Star Wars now. <laughs> yeah, I wanted. That's what I wanted to ask you. Is I've got a friend, Amanda Taylor. She's the one who joined me on that's debatable to talk about Star Trek versus Star Wars, and she says they've just abandoned their legacy. They've like abandoned their politics. It's more. It's not like individual stories of individual characters with different problems that have to be faced or whatever it's more just like star wars like so i think she was right when she said it i do remember that episode and i actually re-listened to that episode because it's a really good episode i love that it's one of my favorites not to toot my own horn but that was my favorite that's debatable yeah and it touches on two of my favorite things star wars yeah. and star trek and the sound politics part is my favorite where we just go listening to all the sounds from the different yeah. things like that's that was fun so thanks to matthew campbell we had a good life for producing that one yeah it was so, a great show yeah. and uh but I would say that with Star Trek Beyond, they started to take... It's not totally what it used to be. There's uh -huh. still action movie elements, but it is very much like Simon Pegg wrote it. Um, and you can tell there's an intention to pull it back to what Trek was, which is more cerebral. Like, okay. I think that was always sort of the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek. Is Star, Star yes. Wars is like a fantasy kind of almost like fairy tale in space. It's swashbuckling. That's what people they call it a like a pirate. Yes. Yeah. Well, th there's an element of that, right? Like because you have the swords and you have like Han Solo and and things like that. But that's like one element of a fairy tale, right? Like if you have that group of people, you always have the swashbuckler, 
Uh, right. But like Star Trek was more like science fiction, I think, which I don't think Star mm-hmm. Wars really is science fiction. I mean, it might technically be, argument, yeah. but it's not like classic science fiction where they're telling you something about yourself. Right. Like about the state of man in the episode. And I think that's more where Star Trek lived for a long time. And I think the fact that Abrams was such a Star Wars fan, I don't think he fully understood Star Trek. And this isn't this isn't yeah. critical because it absolutely saved the franchise. Like you gotta do what you gotta do sometimes. Right. But like yeah. I feel like they're taking a step back towards old Trek. I got off on a rant here. What I was actually trying to say is I think many times in the show they like approach the Vulcan way of thinking as being wrong about emotions. They say over and over again that like, like men feel emotions and they need emotions and emotions drive them and they're important. And like, that's cool. They used to call him on that in the show. It's part of the reason why they don't trust him in the show. Oh yeah. And then in the movies, he like lightens to like realize. Now you're right. There are like overtones of sexism because like his mother, of course, is the one who's like getting him back in touch with his feelings. But I I did yeah. want to I did want to mention just to be in fairness, like they they did posit over and over again that uh, emotions are very necessary to people. It's just the Vulcans don't believe it because they're right. this weird alien race. <laughs> yeah, and I and, and and that that's interesting. I didn't know that it was kind of situated in that context. You know, like maybe they're just echoing when I read it in these kind of journals or whatever that I'm reading it in. They're just echoing the critique that Star Trek itself launches against the Vulcans. Is kind of what I'm hearing mm-hmm. is that you know they're saying just like you learn in Star Trek, this is actually not true or whatever you know so and then that's interesting and then the other thing i wanted to bring up and i don't i don't know if you have much to say about this but one thing that i do admire about this movie is the villain in that if you really think about it he absolutely has a case to be the good guy in this movie if you want to look at it as he's the good guy and Uh he's like an anti-hero right you could totally make that case like they left him on this planet like in the episode they left him on the planet and at the time it was thriving and they were like you can conquer it and make it your own and all this and like he liked the idea that was how they compromised and then they just never checked back on him. And what the moon went out of <laughs> orbit and like his wife died and like all this awful stuff happened. And the only living creature was the earworms, I think they said. That's bad. <laughs> it's real bad news. And so he yeah. absolutely has a reason to be pissed. And I do appreciate that, that like they had both sides of the debate. And you don't see that very often. Like if they if they told the story that way, I would agree with you. But I, I thought right away to the kind of sound politics moment that we had in that AMP episode where we listened to the music that you heard when we were introduced to Khan and even the way the guy says Khan, right? Like the way he says his, his name. Yeah. It's not exactly like this is a sympathetic character. No. <laughs> you know, the music that's, lays it on pretty But thick. I would say that's the brilliance of the movie is they set it up so that if you want to look at it from his eyes, you can but everything in the movie is pulling you towards he's the villain. But if you want to step back no. and say, hold on a second, like it is mm-hmm. there. I That's just something that I like about it is that it's not, it's yeah. not black and white. Uh, no, like, and star Wars tends sense. to suffer from that. I think rogue one oh, took a yeah. step away from that a little bit, but um, they still have the evil empire and almost everybody in the empire is evil. 
but right. I do think they're starting to step towards Star Trek a little bit in that way too. Like Star Trek had many, many episodes where like you start to look at somebody as the enemy and you realize, no, they're not the enemy. They're just different. Like the Klingons are like the classic villain. Right. And then in the next generation, they're not right. Like they're just an uneasy ally. And, uh, interesting. Yeah. And so it's like, I, I kind of like that about Trek and Star Wars uh-huh. is, is starting to do that too. Like, uh, did you see Rogue One? Yes. Okay, so they have rebels who clearly aren't doing good things, and they make it mm-hmm. very clear that, like, like uh, Diego Luna's character, like, he straight up murders a guy at the beginning, and it's not okay. <laughs> and, like, his whole thing with right. the plans is just, like, he wants something good to come out of everything that he's done because he's done awful mm-hmm. things. He's going to kill mm-hmm. Jen Erso's dad. <laughs> like just he's going to kill her, right? And then you look at the bad yeah. guys, you have a pilot that defects from the empire and I think in Force Awakens as well. Like just see stuff mm-hmm. and and they sort of defect. Uh I just sort of like that they're they're starting to like put a little bit of nuance into things. I don't like the black and white. Yeah, it's interesting because there was I can't remember where I saw it. It was some article that was like why we should worry about the gratuitous violence of Star Wars or something like that. And it's about just how disposable stormtroopers are. And there's another article about Star Wars and the myth of American violence and how Star Wars has always been really one-handed, heavy-handed in terms of like the darkness and the light and which side we're on. And you can blow up a whole planet of people as long as they're the bad people. But if you blow up the good planet, then everyone's sad or something like that. Right. And I, I don't know which one you talked about this on, but the reason I brought it up was you talked about this on either your episode for A New Hope or Return of the Jedi. I'm not sure which. But. Okay. Yeah, 39 and 40, we watched them back to back. I've got the list right in front of me because I am in the studio. <laughs> uh, but it was, um, you know, one of the other things that we that, that kind of dawned on me that I haven't really gotten a chance to talk about, and this is kind of interesting, is that it's like by having that, what was it, Finn? Is that the character that defects in... I got Force Awakens, the Force yeah. Awakens and Rogue One mixed up. I, it just happens to be quite a bit. Now but they both they, bo- they, so bo- they both have characters that defect. Different. So yeah, yeah. And 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 what was interesting to me though is that it's like by having a defector, I could be wrong. But is this our first like truly empathetic imperial character? Like, is there ever an imperial character before that we could marginally like Lando Calrissian? Of course, we're introduce, we'll introduce a black guy, and he's totally a traitor. <laughs> um, like, there's your Star Wars universe for you. Um, it's really white. Um, but it's like you know. So besides him, but is there- Lando Lando is set up like Han in a way. Like he's, right, he's not Empire at first. He just gets into bed with the Empire because he doesn't have a yes, choice. Yes, yes. Right. Like, is there any other Empire character that you can think of that is even, even remotely sympathetic? Not, not in the unless you count the extended universe. But as far as the movies, no. I mean, no. I guess Darth Vader to an extent, if you think about how he ends. Yeah, maybe Darth Vader when he sees the error of his ways at the end, when he's watching his son be fucking tortured <laughs> by the Emperor, <laughs> and he's like, oh, maybe this is kind of fucked up, this thing that I'm doing. <laughs> and it's like, dude, maybe blowing up the planet should have made you feel that way, but whatever, hey, we all come and, around at some And point. also from the Emperor's <laughs> perspective, and this is getting off a, <laughs> off a school for a second, but like, don't you want yeah. railings around that giant hole in the middle of your throne room yeah i mean we could have a whole conversation about the accessibility (laughs) politics of the death star because um it's problematic i'm not gonna lie but 
it's to me that's significant to have a defector is significant because suddenly these aren't just stormtroopers suddenly you know for me growing up as a kid you know kill the fucking stormtroopers who cares like blow up the death star kill every tie fighter like i don't care you know like it's never even remotely questioned and now we've got one that can see oh wow maybe i shouldn't be part of the empire and that makes all of them potentially one of us. And that introduces this whole realm. It's even spurned by a character we don't know, right? Like Finn's in Force Awakens. He sees, like, the reason he's defecting is he sees somebody. We don't know who. I mean, I do because I read the books, but whatever. Like, yeah. Yeah. he sees another stormtrooper get killed violently. And, like, he puts the blood on his helmet or whatever. And, like, that's the right. moment. We don't know if that's a good guy or bad guy. But we know that's, like, a mortal person inside of that right. white suit. Which, really, yeah. those suits are just to, like, take away their humanity. So it's okay to kill exactly. them, right? Well, that's the whole part about the military is to just strip away your individuality and just make you one of the units of measurement of force, mm -hmm. right? Like, um and, you know, the Stormtrooper universe, like, uh, uniforms, I've always loved them. I thought they looked great. I always, <laughs> this is so stupid. When I would go skiing, I would tromp around in the boots because I thought they sounded like Stormtrooper boots. And I was like, yeah, this sounds important and heavy and whatever. Um, So, you know, they, they do a good job of stripping away the humanity and just turning them into these objects of, you know, oppression that you're taught to hate. And then the new universe reboots with this real fundamental shift where it's like, oh, shit, there's good people on that side. There's people that are doing bad things for maybe good reasons or something like that, you know? And that's a new realm of nuance that Star Wars has not taken on. Yeah. George Lucas just washes his hands of that completely with the whole darkness and light and evil and good and, you know, like... It's interesting. It, it, it's interesting because it really begs questions about – again, it does, I think, beg questions about the kind of levels of violence that you see in Star Wars because it's really gratuitous. It's all about being gratuitous. And now that we have these kinds of questions floating around, it gets a little harder to do that. I think. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not. So I, I guess I had like two final thoughts. The, the first was yeah. – um, this thing with like when people pit Star Wars and Star Trek against each other, to me, it's uh -huh. not it's not a competition because like George Lucas was inspired by Star Trek, and then like right. Star Star Trek started doing movies because Star Wars did really well in movies, and now like Star right. Trek is copying Star Wars, and Star Wars is copying Star Trek. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to tease them apart. They're different entities, but like they're not that much different. I don't know why people have to choose one or the other. Uh, it's for the sake of just making criteria. That's the whole point of any debate is to be like, if you're going to pick one, why are you picking that yeah. one? And if you're not going to pick one, why aren't you picking that I, one? I will get into right? specifics like, on it, but I will never pick one over the other because I love them both. Yeah, uh, fair yeah. enough. And I'll acknowledge that my affinity towards Star Wars is truly personal. Yeah. Like, I like to kind of gloat like I'm right and to pretend like I'm winning <laughs> because that's half the fun of arguing. But um, 
you know, it's it's all personal. I mean, I do think, although I'll admit, like, I think when it comes to production value and things, it's pretty hard to beat Star yes. Wars. I think the sound politics of Star Wars is perfect. I think, and, and, you know, you might have been the one that pointed this out to me, but someone did point out to me, like, it's really unfair to compare a feature-length film that gets released <laughs> with someone like John, you know, uh, Williams doing the soundtrack to what is effectively a 1950s television <laughs> show. Like, okay, that's a good point. Like, this is... These, these two things are not in the same weight class up until a little bit later on in time. Um, but, you know, it's to me, that was that was the key distinction was that Star Wars felt real. It sounded real. It just dragged me. The, in. the irony of that, it's, though, is that like cell phones, when they had the flip phones, those were developed yeah. because a lot of the creators love Star Trek and they were trying to get I to know. the communicators. So they got there and. Like they named spaceships after spaceships in Star Trek. Like they actually yep. like I don't remember which cast member, but one of them died. They blasted his urn up into space. Oh, cool! <laughs> like spread his ashes. So yeah, the, the test model for the space shuttle was called the Enterprise. It never went into orbit, but it did a lot of like they flew it up on the back of jumbo jets and let it go to see if it could land and glide and stuff like that. And like, it's deeply, deeply influential. I'll never knock Star Trek as often as I used to. I tried to do yeah. that last Oh, last there's one other, one other super cool fact I just wanted to mention. Martin yeah. Luther King Jr. This is a famous story, but uh, yeah. uh, uh, Nichelle Nichols, who played Uhura, she was going to quit the show. She was mad. Uh, she didn't, felt like her character wasn't getting enough stuff to do on the show, and she was going to quit the show, and Martin Luther King Jr. found out and he went and had dinner with her and talked to her, and he said, you can't quit the show. He said, "People, it doesn't matter what they're giving you on the show. Like Black kids are watching the show, and they're seeing a strong black woman in a, in a leadership role. She's like, it doesn't matter yeah. how much you have in this. Like it's, it's really important. And so she kept the show yeah. because MLK Jr. Like told her to. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It just really goes to show how important and how like how um depleted the representations were at the yeah. time, you know, like to me that really emphasizes the kind of dearth of possibility that exists when he's like it doesn't matter what you're doing at least you're on TV. Like it's we just need somebody there to give us an example. And I do think it matters. Like I went from being really skeptical about this to, you know, it's probably self-serving now that I teach this shit, but to being, you know, really sympathetic to this idea that if you see people that look like you in the movies, you, you like feel ratified, you feel justified, you feel motivated to try to do those things. Like if I see someone that looks like me doing something cool, I'm like, I could maybe do that or whatever. And the further that person is from you, the more alien it would seem, the more impossible it would seem, the more fanciful, I guess. I don't know. It, it's significant. Like Star Trek is really significant for its politics and Star Wars strikes out completely in this regard. Like I'll concede that top to bottom. Yeah, for sure. Um, Although I do think Princess Leia is pretty badass. Yeah, no, she is. Like as, as a character, she's pretty cool. Yeah, I and the Slave Leia thing is probably a misstep, but like at least they made her a general and like a powerful general. Yeah. Like I feel like yeah. no misstep in, in the, the newest movie yeah, in terms of Princess Leia. But Self-congratulating, but my favorite moment of the New Hope episode that we did on Alien Movie Project, uh, it was 39, was where we compared Princess Leia comforting Luke Skywalker to what Ripley would do <laughs> in Aliens, where it's 
it's like, yeah, my daughter, like, died when I fell asleep for 50 years, so I don't know what to tell you, guy. <laughs> See, you know, what's, you know what's interesting about that, though, was when I, when I because th- I thought about that moment when you were on there, and they, uh-huh. they did a comic that sort of explored that moment of time for her, like a little oh, bit. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, Marvel does Star Wars comics, and, and they've been... Uh, they were putting out a bunch of stuff that happens between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. Okay. And she wasn't letting herself grieve because she was still a princess to at least a million people. And she felt like yeah. she couldn't let them see her grieve because she was nobility. And so that's partly right. why she was like comforting Luke was like... Kind of stoicism deal. Exactly, there. yeah. And so I thought that yeah. was kind of interesting because they're always trying to reverse engineer stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you can, and that's what we say is that it's like you can, there's a million ways we can explain everything that happens in any movie and they're all interesting and that's fine. But it just begs the question at the end of the day where again and again and again, women are providing care and comfort to men and, you know, the men are the focus of the story and whatever. And that just seems like a really, you know, ridiculous example where someone just watched their whole planet get annihilated and someone else watched someone that they just met. (laughs) Like he literally just (laughs) met Ben Kenobi. He's like, I can't believe that he's gone. It's like, dude, you don't even know this guy like, like what are you talking he was about a creepy old <laughs> dude to you who is yeah. a legend right <laughs> like right two you days got knocked ago. unconscious and he found you in the desert <laughs> i don't know what to say like, maybe you need to slow your role when it comes to your attachment to people because the universe is a big place and bad things happen all the time so. okay so the last thing i have to bring up and i, I would kick yeah. myself if i did not bring it up but it makes me mm. chuckle is that in Rathacon, uh, you guys were kind of joking around like, I don't know whose fault the eugenics thing was. Is it the Federation? So right. it's technically our parents' fault. Oh. <laughs> and what I mean by that is uh, Khan is supposed to be an Indian uh, leader who is part of this yeah. eugenic experiment in the 90s. <laughs> then like yeah. took over the earth along with all these other people and then they like cast him out in in a, a spaceship and and deep cryogenic sleep until the enterprise fumbled across them so technically yeah. it's, it's our parents fault it's what i was getting i read at. something about him supposed to be an indian it's so like here's my question are there any women in his crew you, and if not why i i don't remember if there's any women in his crew but if there wasn't it's because there's a woman on the crew who falls in love with him and uh Uh and so that's sort of why they stop warring with the enterprise is she agrees like she falls in love with him so she agrees to go to the planet with him um if he if he'll leave the enterprise alone basically it's it's horribly sexist and racist that so like the answer is no, and that there is one woman who's basically the love anchor, right? And that's that's that why he flips out the... in part two is because she's dead, mm-hmm. like ultimately, and they never check yeah. back up on him. So she's a disposable woman. That's a new term I've run into. A disposable woman is a woman in a movie that they're going to kill just to make the vengeance of the main character justified, and this happens a lot. Yeah, this happens all of the time. And it's often dead mom. Disney is really guilty of this. That's another That's Debatable episode that I did where Julia Went came on and listed all of the Disney movies where mom dies. <laughs> substantial. <laughs> There's so many. Where it's either dead mom or dead parents, right? Like, so, yeah, okay. pretty significant. 
well, thank you, thank you for giving me a little bit of time. Yeah, uh, I hey, really appreciate me. it, dude. And I, I just like I love this movie so much, and I, I did have questions for you, and I sort of wanted, <laughs> like, I wanted you to elaborate. So thank you so much for doing that. Yeah. And everybody, please check out this episode. AMP I know is going to be sporadic when it comes out. Uh, yes, we're going to keep making new content, as you know, but it will not be weekly anymore. That is over. So. And we just did an episode of. Uh, of uh um real roulette which will technically be up on thursday yeah and so i i wanted to plug really quick because there is a connection between amp and all this right like uh-huh. we talk about star trek 2 a little bit in that but what was uh-huh. something that i forgot to bring up in the episode is that michael york who we talked about in that episode he is uh-huh. in what's going to be your next episode of AMP, Spaceballs. Spaceballs? Yes, Fuck because yeah. he, plays, nice. he plays ape number one, and I think he's the one no. who goes, oh shit, there goes the planet. There goes the planet <laughs> at the end, the, the rip on, on Planet of the Apes. Yeah, we're excited to do Spaceballs. We're excited for the rest of the show. Man, we really could not do any of it without you. Like, I will come on your show anytime ever because you're the one fucking sitting there trying to figure out where to get the audio files when I'm like, let's listen to this stupid fucking door sound that's like, (laughs) you know, 20 minutes for you digging that shit up and dropping it in there. So thank you, man. We'll come on anytime. Your listeners should definitely check out Alien Movie Project. Um, But they should also... Keep listening to Montauki Skies, and I'll be back. We'll talk more about movies. Thanks, Aaron. And take it easy. (laughs) Movies with wrestlers? Green Lantern's Light? ASL Adventures? Interdimensional Exchange Association? Is this yours? No, your I... Your mother said she found them on your phone. I don't know. A guy must, must have, have... what? Look, Dad, they're not mine. Alien Movie Project? We Had a Good Life? Montucky Skies? Real Roulette? Where'd you get it? Dad... Answer me. Who taught you how to listen to this stuff? You alright? I learned it by watching you. Parents that use podcasts have children that use podcasts. Brought to you by the partnership of the Not Safer Network.